There's a very old tradition that goes back for probably thousands of years. And I'd like to, us to practice that this morning. I'm going to say, he is risen. And then, if you would, with gusto, say back, he is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Beautiful. Have a seat, please. Well, I'm thrilled that you are here. Thank you guys so much for the beautiful music. And I, I know that, well, first of all, thanks for coming so early. This is going to make the rest of the day way better. I appreciate that. And for everybody joining online, uh, we're here just to unapologetically celebrate an event that changed calendars and changes lives, has changed cultures, and it's the resurrection of Jesus. It's this astounding claim that even though human beings have a 100% mortality rate, okay, I don't care how healthy you are or how young you are, unfortunately, human beings have a 100% mortality rate, but there is one claim that there is one individual in the history of the world, who died and was resurrected again. And because of that, everything has changed. Now, th this idea of resurrection, it's, it's paramount to the entire message of the church. Uh, interesting, if you read the book of Acts, which is a, a chronicle of the first several decades of the Christian church, what you read over and over is that these original disciples who had doubted Jesus, hadn't believed, wherever they go, the thing that they always proclaim is this. They proclaim that Jesus resurrected from the dead, and that changes everything. And I think for some of us, wherever you're at in your own faith journey, some of us who are disciples, you've been following God for a long time, we kind of say, oh yeah, I know that. But what I hope today as we read the resurrection story in just a few minutes is that we re-engage and have a renewed personal experience with the risen Jesus. Now, for some of us who are unresolved regarding what we believe or maybe even skeptical, I understand that. This is a place where we purposely allow room for people to ask questions and to explore. But as we read the resurrection story, I hope that you would do this. I hope that you would reconsider. I hope that you would reconsider the person of Jesus. You may have... Um, had a Christian boss in the past. You may have known too many Christians. And whatever those experiences were, they kind of made you think, i got to dismiss this whole story. My hope is this. is it, It's not people like me who represent Jesus well. But you would come face to face with this idea that Jesus is alive and well. In Acts chapter 17, there's an interesting interaction that I think throw, shows us three options on how we can deal with the resurrection. It's Paul, and Paul is now traveling. He's on one of his last journeys, and he comes to the, that world-famous city of Athens. I mean, Athens, you know, legend and lore. And, and now Rome rules the world, but Athens is still the, the, it's the epicenter of thought and philosophy. And so you have these brilliant people that gather, and they're talking about every idea imaginable. People from all over the world come to this place called Mars Hill. Mars Hill. And at Mars Hill... They're, they're contemplating. They're throwing out new ideas. In fact, I want to show you a picture. This, this was taken from Mars Hill. And in the background is the Acropolis, the, the city in the sky. The temples are there. Now, Athens has grown up all around it. But on Mars Hill, it was the center of debate. It was the center of thought. It was the center of philosophy. And Paul shows up. And in Acts chapter 17, this is what happens. Acts 17. Uh, 
the philosophers say, come and tell us about this new teaching. They said, you're saying some rather strange things, and we don't know what it's all about. When Paul heard, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, here's the options. Some laughed in contempt, but others said, you know, we want to hear more about this, but later. It's enough for now. We want to hear more about it later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. So 2,000 years ago, there were three responses to this idea that Jesus, who was God and man, resurrected from the dead. Some derided. Some said that is the most ridiculous thing imaginable. They had scientific, biological, historical problems with this idea of resurrection. Some deferred. That's fascinating. And maybe I'll think about that more later. And I think that's an easy thing for us to do, to, to live in a culture that has biblical roots. It's, I like it, but I'll push that decision off. And then the third option was some, they adopted it. They do, devoted themselves. They said, that story changes everything for me. Those options still remain for us today. They're all legitimate. And, and different, different individuals in the room have those responses. Some of us, like, I, how can that be? Some of us defer because if it's true, it's going to change a lot. And some of us have devoted ourselves to this entire message. I want to read from John chapter 20, the first Easter morning. And uh, there's a couple of things that are really interesting about this. One is you'll notice that there's a woman who's kind of the main character. And it's fascinating that John, who records this, he, he has a woman who, it, 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 tragically, in the ancient world when Jesus lived, Women weren't allowed to even testify in court. But Jesus, as he records the story of his resurrection, a woman is going to be the main witness in the resurrection. Let's read together John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord. Who that they are, we don't know, but she assumes that there's some sort of scandal and somebody's stolen the body away. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and he reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Notice this. They still did not understand it from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. She, they asked the woman, why, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, 
Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. She told them that he had said these things to her. John's account of the resurrection. Now, there have been multiple revolutions in our world. Political revolutions, religious revolutions, uh, ideological revolutions, things that have just changed the way cultures react or think or, or process. Let me talk about a few of those because I think they hold a pattern, but this is different. This is unique. Here's the pattern. A catalytic, charismatic leader comes along. And they're addressing a problem. Oftentimes it's oppression. Uh, oftentimes it's uh, a lack of freedom, something like that. So this charismatic, catalytic leader comes along, and they promote new ideas, a new thought. And usually they write something down. They, they begin a treatise. They, they give their thoughts, and people rally around these thoughts. And always that leader eventually dies. And when that leader dies, the followers, the promoters of this idea, of this idea surround the original writing, surround the teachings, and they begin to push that thing forward. And it changes the world. An example, Muhammad. He has a mysterious experience at a cave. He receives these writings. He writes it down. He then goes to the people that live around him who are tribal, fractured, always warring. They're polytheistic. They worship many gods. He takes his writings, he convinces them that they should be monotheistic, that there's one God, and his name is Allah, and they should unite together. He dies in 632 AD, but his followers surround the teaching. They still promote the teaching, and so it changes the world, and today you still have his teachings influenced a massive portion of the world. That, that's a typical revolution. There, there's something that the leader leaves behind, some teaching, some truth that people grab onto. Let me give you some examples from our world. If I said this, four score and seven years ago, our forefathers, it's Abraham Lincoln, Gettysburg Address, it, these words united people in a nation that was fractured and brought us to a new place. If I said this, I, I only have to say these words, I have a dream. Four words. You say, oh, that was Martin Luther King, who was executed, was killed, assassinated. But those words, people rallied around those words, those thoughts, and it led to a revolution. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. It's a document, a truth that a group of individuals brought and it pushed an idea to the surface that led to the establishment of this nation. But it's not always positive. It could be, uh, it could be Adolf Hitler as he writes Mein Kampf. It could be the Communist Manifesto. It could be Charles Darwin looking at the world and saying, I, I want to look at this through a different lens than anybody else has. He writes Origin of the Species and it starts a revolution that changes things on the planet. All of those things follow a pattern. A leader who's catalytic, charismatic, writes something, 
After he or she dies, the leaders surround the idea, promote the idea, push it forward, it changes the world. The story of Jesus is the only one I know about in the history of the world that breaks that pattern. It is completely unique. It's a revolution that started, and it's so impactful that over a course of 24 hours, one-third to one-half of the world's population is going to gather together in mud huts and soaring cathedrals to sing songs in every language imaginable to a resurrected Jesus. But it breaks all the molds. It's not like the other stories. Here's some things that are unique about the story of Jesus. This pattern just doesn't work for Christianity. One, Jesus' message didn't advocate political liberation or revolution. He just, he didn't promote that. There was oppression when he came. Rome was in charge, but Jesus just, he didn't advocate revolution like that. In fact, when he's on trial in front of Pilate, Pilate is the Roman governor. Uh, Pilate is wondering, is this man a threat to the Roman Empire? Is this man a threat to Caesar? Because people say he's a king. So he has this interesting dialogue with Jesus. Are you a king? And he goes, well, it is as you say. And finally, he presses him. And he says, so are you a king? Are you greater than Caesar? And Jesus says this, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate, you, you don't have to be afraid. I didn't come for a throne. I didn't come to have power, my kingdom is completely otherworldly. It's about something that you don't associate with power and strength. Jesus didn't come to overthrow the Jewish law that ruled the land. In fact, he said, I, I've come and I've said things that actually make it more challenging for you. Jesus wasn't typical in that way. He didn't advocate liberation, revolution. Jesus' message was about Jesus. It's really unique. Here's something I, I find so fascinating. In the New Testament, the people who knew Jesus and saw Jesus and walked with him, as they spread throughout the world, they didn't reteach Jesus' sermons. Read the book of Acts. Nobody ever says, uh, oh, here's a parable that Jesus taught. Wherever they go, they're not regurgitating this truth that Jesus left behind. They're bringing something different. What do they bring? They bring the message of resurrection. Jesus' life, his revolution, wasn't based on a series of teachings or new ethics or a, a new enlightenment that would change everything. Jesus' message was about himself. What do I mean by that? John chapter 11. Jesus shows up to a funeral, and it's a funeral that he's late for. They had asked him to come days earlier because a man named Lazarus is desperately ill. His two sisters, Mary and Martha, are friends with Jesus. Jesus purposely comes late. Lazarus is already dead in the tomb. And when he comes to the tomb, he doesn't, he doesn't look at Mary and Martha and talk about grief or how to process it. He doesn't look at them and give them a treatise on the afterlife and what things will eventually be. This is what he says. I am resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. 
Jesus says, I, I am. His message was about himself. In John chapter 14, it's the classic question that human beings ask. How do we find God? Jesus has been dropping these hints that the story wasn't going to go the way they thought. And so the people are confused and his disciples say, well, how in the world are we ever going to find God? Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus' message was about himself. He was the God-man and what he would accomplish through his death, burial, and resurrection would start a revolution that is absolutely non-typical, that is completely different than anything the world has seen before. Another peculiar thing is that when Jesus died, no one believed his message. No one. These these 12 people who he had spent the last three years of his life with, one of them sells him. Peter, who's supposed to be the leader of the group, denies even knowing him. When they come to arrest Jesus, they all flee. There's only one at the cross, John. The people who record the life of Jesus write into the story that they were cowards that they didn't believe. They had no idea. It wasn't about a group of people who were like, now our hero is dead. Let's take his ideas and promote it to the world. It was about a group of people who were absolutely disillusioned. They thought Jesus is dead, so this is dead because the Son of God isn't supposed to die. Messiahs aren't supposed to die. They're not supposed to be executed by the Romans on a cross. Jesus' message was completely unique. So could it be Could it be that millions of people are gathering today because people are still encountering the risen Jesus? That he is still alive and at work. Let's let this door represent the afterlife. On this side, this is where we're at, okay? That's the good news. You're on the life side. On this side is this mysterious world that everybody has a philosophy for, every religion has an idea about. This is the afterlife. And here's been the problem with human beings. We have wondered, how do we get through that door? How do we know things are going to be okay? Who is on the other side? Will things be okay when I'm on the other side? And so there's been a myriad of philosophies, ideas, keys. So some have been... A lot of them based around religion. The the key to the afterlife is in this world, in this life, you live a respectable life. You're kind, you're ethical, you, uh, you do the right things. It's about your behavior. So the key of behavior, we try to insert that into the afterlife and think maybe, maybe that's what changes things. Maybe that's what makes everything okay on the other side. But it doesn't work. Maybe, maybe the key is living healthy, eating Brussels sprouts, exercising seven times a day, never eating Doritos again the rest of your life. Well, you can try that key, right? You get it in, and the problem is, is that 100% mortality rate. I may make it to 112, but I'm still going to reach the door. 
So the philosophies go on and on and on. Here's part of the story of resurrection. This is what it means. Is that God understood that this barrier existed and there was confusion and there was fear and there was uncertainty. So he said, what I would do is I would send my son to die in your place and not just to die, but to unlock the door. I'll show you a picture for a moment. This is a picture that you'd see often at Easter. And it's, a, it's a picture that's in many of our minds. This is a, a crucifixion. This is um, what we've been taught. This is often what we think of at Easter. And this represents something very, very important. This represents a God who would take sin and guilt upon himself. But too often, we have this idea of an emaciated, beaten, executed Jesus who died on our behalf. And that's the image of Jesus that we carry around in our minds. The story of Easter is this. He stepped into death. And he didn't shut the door. If he shut the door we would still be talking about a dead guy hanging on a cross. He's not in some mysterious world where we're hoping that he'll come back and we've been waiting for a few thousand years. We're just hoping the door opens again. The story of Easter is this, is that Jesus stepped out and then he stepped back through. And he appeared to over 500 people and he dialogued with them. And not only did he step back into this life, he's here permanently, and he opened this door, and it's not just to benefit him, it's to benefit every one of us. That this idea that death is no longer permanent, that there's no more fear on the other side of this life, it can change everything. Last night, excuse me, I'm sorry. Last night when uh, I was sitting right down there during the first service, and I felt something in my pocket, and whenever I have a suit jacket on, I feel something in my pocket, I get scared. Because uh, a little while ago, I put on my suit jacket and I reached inside and it was one of your marriage licenses from four months before <laughs> that I had signed and put in my suit jacket and forgotten about. <laughs> but it's always a bad call. I know you think you're married, but... <laughs> but what I had in my suit jacket pocket was, um, man, it just brought, brought tears to my eyes as I was sitting there. It's a program from my friend's funeral, his memorial service. I hadn't put this jacket on since then. And as I sat here and I, I, I even looked at this door, I thought, here's the beauty of resurrection. Jesus opened the door and it's open now because my friend stepped through that door one day, I'm going to step through that door, but the door's not closed, it's not sealed. One day, because there's a living Jesus who lives on this side, I too am going to step through. The life has no more power, death has no more power. Jesus says that he snatched the keys of death and Hades. He took them. There's no more that can lock me away and keep me in fear. Finally, just remember this. Jesus is present 
tense. He's not past tense. He's not a man who was. He died on a cross, and that had such incredible impact. But he is alive and at work today. And the reason that you are here, the reason that millions of people are gathering is because he still is interacting with people face to face. As he spoke to Mary, he speaks your name and my name. And we realize that he is indeed present tense. We do not worship a historical figure. We worship a God who is alive and well and at work and the revolution continues and it doesn't have to do with military uprising and it doesn't have to do with fixing everything that's broken in politics. It has to do with a God who conquered death to save his people. How do you explain a 33-year-old who worked with his hands and built things, wasn't educated, never traveled more than 100 miles away from his home, taught to thousands, but when he died, no one believed. He never raised an army. He never won in a race for office. He never painted a famous picture, made a sculpture. He never wrote a book. And yet, millions of people follow him today. It's because Jesus is present tense. It's because he's not a dead religious leader. He's alive and at work today. Would you pray with me? The angel said, he is not here. He is risen. Every one of us, Lord, has the option in how we deal with Easter. There are religious options where we're very, very grateful, but we think of you past tense. And that's incomplete. You are the present tense. There are options where we deride the story where we defer the story. I understand that. But Lord, I pray that each of us, wherever we're at in our own journey, would come face to face with the risen Jesus. And when you call our name, as you call Mary's name, there would be a recognition and there would be an encounter that changes everything. Because you are alive the one person in human history who stepped back through the door so that we would not be alone. If you'd keep your eyes closed for just a moment, I want to make an invitation for anybody in the room, if you would say this, Nate, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. That face-to-face -face encounter, I hear him calling my name and I am looking to him saying teacher Lord Savior I'm yours if that's you would you just boldly raise your hand and wave at me I want to make eye contact with you yes ma'am yes ma'am yes you're his yes sir you're his it's a new start yes yes ma'am right there absolutely 
your daughter, your loved, your forgiven, anybody else, if that's you. Yeah, I see your hand. Thank you for your courage. If you're in the balcony and that's you, will you wave at me? Absolutely. I see you. A new day for you. Okay. Beautiful. Hey, would you applaud for those who raised their hands? A big step and a great Easter celebration.